Welcome to the Six Ways to Sunday podcast, hosted by award-winning television director, documentary filmmaker, author, and speaker, Craig D. Forrest. Join Craig for the next few minutes as he interviews leaders, artists, and creatives about trends and insights shaping our digital world and faith-based media. This podcast is produced and brought to you by Matchstick Media International. Now, here's Craig. Great guest, great colleague, great friend, even an, a golfing buddy back in the day, my friend Paul Bresenen, based in Southern Cal. Happy to have you. And thank you, Paul, for being part of the podcast today. Oh, it's, it's my pleasure. This is fun. Very, very good. I don't think I've golfed since the last time we went out. So that's something yeah. to. Yeah. Yeah, we can we can go uh, and try to wander around and find where our golf balls went together. How about that? <laughs> I tell you what, you that sounds fair. Since 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 I uh, I shank them and slice them, I'll go right and and you go left. There <laughs> you good. Even though I don't vote that way, but no, no, I do vote that way. So <laughs> there you go. Never um, mind and all that. Now, Paul, I'm yeah, thoroughly I, confused. I like it. Yeah, I'm wonderfully confused on on our time here. Paul has a, was previously uh, assistant pastor, youth pastor, if I remember it right, in the Whittier mm -hmm. area. And you really got involved in media uh, about more than 20 years ago in media and worked your way up to creating your own digital marketing agency. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, uh, I feel like most of what I learned from the media side, I learned in church. I had some great mentors that taught me how to do everything from audio engineering. I ended up running the um, recording studio at Azusa Pacific University with one of my mentors, which was fun. He ran it. I just kind of did some engineering and I would do a bunch of location recording and we would do everything from choirs to classical sort of recording to, you know, lots of fun stuff all over the place. Video I learned in church, which is great. Had one of the guys that I learned video from now does most of like the NFL football games and remote trucks and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, and then this is sort of when the churches were moving from slide projectors to putting in, I think we were the first church to put in a digital console. Um, we were featured in Yamaha's magazine for using one of their recording consoles for a live console. Then we moved from slides to putting in projectors and building big surrounds because the projectors weren't that bright back then. Uh, and so I kind of jumped into the idea of learning Photoshop and PowerPoint and lyrics and all of that sort of stuff back before there was a pro presenter or any of that kind of thing. So it, it was great being in that church environment growing up. I kind of grew up at the right time where we were at the bleeding edge of all the media integration in a church, uh, at least in that sense. Uh, and then kind of built the first website for the church before churches were doing them and started, you know, the social media and that kind of launched my career into a into building a marketing agency. Uh, and then I sort of diverged from the church profile. Like when I started my agency, the church work, um, you know, I, I transitioned into a full-time career doing media, uh, if you're going to look at it that way. And so I worked with a lot of churches. I worked with, um, you know, the Southern California Assemblies of God and Vanguard University and kind of started taking it a little bit bigger in terms of what we were doing, um, a little bit more complex problems, bigger budgets, that sort of thing. But I, 
I've always stayed very involved in the local church from, from a media perspective. I run the volunteer teams at uh, the most of the churches that I've been involved in, but when I say most, uh, I was at Rock Harbor for nine years and I've been at Grace Community, which is in Costa Mesa, Costa Mesa, very small church, small church, small church for Southern California. When you're surrounded by mega churches, what seems small is a couple thousand people. Um, but yeah, it's, it's always a unique challenge of figuring out what the right approach is for a particular community. Uh, and that's a mix of technology. I think there's some fun things to talk about what COVID did to the church in terms of a, a media sort of focus uh, out of necessity. Just about every church went to some sort of remote or hybrid environment, just like most businesses did. Uh, most were very ill-equipped. Um, just even getting equipment was a really tough challenge. Six to nine months back order on most video equipment. Luckily, we had the forethought to order it before the rush hit. And so it only took us a few months to get, but still training a team and running that whole process was pretty, pretty interesting uh, through COVID. And now you're sort of in this vacuum of what do you do now, which is a fun conversation we could probably dive into too. Um, my experience from um, trying to consult with churches and ministries a few years ago as COVID was. Uh unleashed across the world uh, and worked its way from China to India, Italy got really hit hard. And I don't think a lot of Western um, American, Canada, Americans, can Canadians understand how hard uh, Italy was hit. My point in all this is that uh, I think, and my perception is, is that the churches that were already doing media had a, some kind of active media program, outreach, presence, uh, did much better than those that had to scramble and realize, hey, nobody is in our church next Sunday. What are we going to do? Uh, and I, I mean, do you agree with that? I think if you're already doing media, then you adapt it. If you weren't doing much or any media, you had to begin at square one. What do you think? I think it depends on what you define as do well, right? Uh, I know lots of organizations that if you're looking at financial doing well. I feel like the churches that were doing well are still doing well. Uh, and that probably has a little bit more to do with the depth of community and discipleship structure that existed. Um, our church made a very hard pivot to putting everybody into a home church. Uh, they did sort of this idea of how do we support. Uh, I really liked what we did. It sort of um, shook most people to the core of saying, how do you lead your own family from a spiritual perspective? And how do you bring other people in your neighborhood into that? And I think it sort of made everybody own the discipleship process for their own kids and own the discipleship process for their own community in a deeper way. It made people realize that that's not somebody, you can't outsource that to a, to a professional paid team, that that's part of all of our job. And if I view any sort of win from the church out of COVID, I would view like that particular um, for me personally, that particular insight as being so much, so beneficial to me, like, how do I do this for my own family? Now, if you talk about production quality and the ability to keep people together so that at some point they show back up again, there's, there's a very wide sort of mix on that. Um, I think there's a lot of churches that have uh, dependent upon the like makeup of their congregation, I would think a younger audience or a younger model church had a harder time keeping people together and had a harder time bringing them back. 
regardless if they were really good at media or not good at media. Because what they were, what, what you realize is that that younger audience is probably a little bit more fearful around COVID and a little bit more transient. And so the financial stability and the, the willingness to get back together in physical spaces was a little bit tougher. Um, but, I, you know, once again, I think that's next. I think kids ministry had a really hard time. Even if you had a professional media team, they didn't really extend it down to kids. I think most kids ministries suffered. Uh, and so the larger churches uh, probably had some sort of resource to do it, but most smaller churches really just stunk. <laughs> and those kids are so used to everything from, you know, Veggie Tales to Disney Channel, right? It's hard to compete with that level of production quality in a remote environment. Whereas most people, when you're just looking at maybe some sort of simplified worship experience and a teaching experience that's easier to replicate, as opposed to some sort of entertainment component, which is really hard to replicate. Complex answer. I don't know if that fits your oh, need, but I like uh, it. Paul, for our audience, we're in about 51 countries across the world, uh, 8,000 listens. And uh, Paul is going on his 20th anniversary with his company, 454 Creative. And uh, it's a digital marketing agency. Maybe talk about the start of that and tell people what, why it's called 454. Just walk us through, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, the, the first baby steps and start to, uh, you've got a full agency and staff and all of that right now. Yeah. Um, so we're a digital marketing agency. We do a lot of work in the nonprofit, church environment, higher education, everything from big public universities down to, you know, our local church or um, the mega church down the street. We built Mariner's Church website last year. Um, we do a lot of work in terms of trying to figure out what the best approach to reach people is. And so in the, in the corporate environment, what we're trying to do is to provide clarity so that people understand your unique value. What do you say to these people, a specific set of people, so that they get why they should buy from you, even if it's at a premium. Um, that's a really easy conversation and sell in the corporate environment. A lot of things are just so clearly driven by an outcome. You have a transaction on the other end, they bought or they didn't buy. In the church environment, that's been a little bit tougher. Uh, and I, I feel like you should have that sort of clarity as you're looking at the intentionality and in what you do. I started my company I don't know, we were just talking about this a little bit earlier, 19 years ago in my parents' attic, uh, I was working at a church that ended abruptly, as sometimes working at churches does, um, and I went out that next week and started a company in my parents' attic and hired an employee on day two and another employee on day three and kind of kept growing from there. Uh, we're about 20-ish full-time team members now, probably double or triple that in freelance partners that we work with, uh, depending on the type of job that they need. Uh, we're not flying out video teams to go shoot a case study. We find a local resource to do that and uh, kind of enforce some brand standards and put together the structure. And so that's a lot of what um, that how, how that happens now. Um, 454, uh, we used to not tell people what the name was. We told them you have to, have to work with us for a while before we tell you. But the marketing story is that we, uh, 454 is the size of a Chevy muscle car engine. And uh, the, the idea is that we, we really drive growth. We turbocharge an organization's growth trajectory. And we do that with uh, technology and media and how, you know, how that interlays. But a lot of that has to do with marketing fundamentals. What are we selling to who at what price point? Um, people try to fix a lot of their fundamental problems, product placement pricing with promotional marketing. And promotional marketing is really what people just kind of expect from a marketing agency or what they expect from their marketing person now. That's just 
kind of how the, the market has evolved because we keep selling these ideas of shiny objects. You can shout louder. We can do it on Google. We can do it on Facebook. We can do it out on YouTube. We can, you know, we can broadcast this to a bunch of people, but if what you're doing at a core fundamental level doesn't work, it doesn't resonate, shouting louder doesn't fix that. So, and that's sort of what we built our agency on. Flawed promotional market or flawed fundamental marketing will not be overcome by really great promotional marketing. You can't just shout your way out of it. But flawed promotional marketing will always be overcome by really great fundamental marketing. And so if you have something that people want, people will flock to you. They may do it at a lower rate, but, and that's really what we've kind of built this idea of building growth engines on. How do we really amp up somebody's growth trajectory? And we're looking for organizations that have good organic growth trajectory and we can really turbocharge their efforts. Excellent, excellent. Uh, but, but, that's kind of the, the fun, pretty story. Okay. The actual story is when we incorporated, uh, originally we, you know, as a solopreneur and we we're working out of an attic and all of a sudden I got offices and employees and bought a house and thought, okay, this got to turn this into something real. So we, you know, ran through our same process and brainstormed for weeks. And so we landed the name LA Creative and I owned LA Creative LACreative.com. At that point, we were based in LA County and made sense. LA, if you're not familiar here in one of the 51 countries, LA is not just like your normal city. It is just sprawling. It is spread out over a really wide area. You can drive for two or three hours and still be in LA, uh, partly because the traffic is terrible, but partly because it's just so spread out. Um, and so we did that. And then I went to file the paperwork and we sent out our announcement to all of our clients and feeling really good about myself. And two, our two largest clients emailed me back immediately and go, hey, by the way, we, we kind of fibbed and told our bosses that you were based in DC. They were big DC lobbying organizations, membership organizations. Uh, and they said, you know, if you change your name to LA Creative, we'll probably have to replace you in the next few months. And I thought, oh no. <laughs> so call my lawyer and say, stop filing the paperwork. And went back to the drawing board and cut off LA and put on 454, which was the size of the car in my, the size of the engine in my first car. And so that's sort of how it's, it's stuck. I like both versions of the story. Each <laughs> one has its own flavor. And I like that. Yes. I like that we fibbed to our clients and said that you were based in DC. Now that brings <laughs> that, that brings up a, a a very oh no I didn't fib no no the no no I just fibbed to their bosses. Oh okay fine I you know what uh, we'll 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 put a, a holy anointing uh, holy water Thank over Thank over it all it'll it'll be fine. Now this brings up something very interesting. Uh, based on distance, which doesn't matter that much anymore, especially in the last few years with telecommuting and uh, Zoom meetings and, and uh, being able to work from faraway places that are digital nomads. I love that whole idea of uh, people that decided to go to Croatia or the Azores, a couple of places that I've read about in the last six months to a year. They get a digital nomad um, visa for their passport. It's good for a year. They can renew it. They work from far away. There has to be a discipline to it because you're not in a formal office where you're having conversation around the water cooler, as they used to say, or over a cup of coffee. You're far, far away. But it does mean that you don't have to be in the same city as where you're working or where your clients are. So it's changed. Can you talk about that a little bit? Oh, I probably have a contrarian view on this. Okay, uh, then go yeah, I mean, yeah, we, I mean, I am sitting in a, you know, roughly 4,000 square foot office with four people in it right now. 
Um, and from a business owner's perspective, you're going to see a wide range of responses. I tend to have a younger audience and they've all dispersed and we have a work from anywhere framework that's formalized. And we have no plan on forcing anybody to come back into the office and don't intend to in any, in any time period ever again. However, um, I, I still feel like there is something that's lost without the ability to physically get in the same room with people and fight through a problem. And for being a creative agency, what you lose is the real-time collaboration, those micro moments to look over somebody's shoulder and say, ah, fix that one. Or, hey, I'm really struggling with this. What do you think? And so we, you, I mean, when you talk about digital transitions, right, we were already using Slack, had really great documentation in Asana. We had our project management system dialed in. And so for us to translate, transfer to being remote was virtually no hiccup. It was a pretty seamless experience. I can't tell you how often that that's not true in the modern organization. That what we've done is we've turned ourselves into solo teams of individual experts. We have a bunch of people that are responsible for their own sort of execution, but they have very literal sort of collaboration and team collaboration as it relates to problem solving. Uh, and so I think that because everybody is suffering in this collaboration, like I, I see it in our client work. I see so many things that we would never let go before that everybody lets go because just that's as good as you're going to get right now. And that's what the clients sort of have set their threshold to. It's what we have set our threshold to. And gratefully, our standards have always been to like our standard of excellence is always going to be higher than what the client expects. However, you see lots of organizations where that is slipping. Uh, and I think that if you fast forward three to five years, there's going to be a very defining mark of organizations that are going to fold. And you're going to have what you're, what you're describing, individual freelance digital nomads that roam the world and do work for people as individuals. But this idea of building this collective bigger enterprise, we're going to lose the middle ground of the market. You can always have these smaller agencies and you'll always have these massive agencies, but you're losing that whole middle ground right now because people have done this in the agency environment and don't know how to support it. Sales is always has a much higher close rate where somebody can walk into an environment and see the culture and sign off and trust in it. Because what you're signing up for when you're looking in the sales process is some assessment of risk. Can they do this project for me? And so one of the easy ways to prove that is you walk them into someplace and say, here's the, our discipline. Look at how we work. And if you're going to lose that, it's now everybody is on equal footing. There's no advantage to a big agency versus a small agency to a freelancer. To some degree, like when I interview college students, they present this sort of college project of like, look at this amazing portfolio I did. And I look at it and I know you didn't do that. You did that with a team of eight. Which part did you do? Right. And that's what's going to happen in the sales process as people start to move forward. Well, which part did you do? Right. And so this is this is the hardest thing that we're going to step into is I think I think there is some beauty in this. Right. Like a church can actually go out and hire. Uh, there's some great resources out there. Promax is a good resource for this or, or uh, frame.io. There's some good resources where you can do remote collaboration, video editing, and a church can live stream their service and a video editor can pick it up. Uh, anywhere they want, Philippines, the Azores, whatever it is. Ideally, you want some complementary time zones. They can edit that and they can post it and they can chunk it up for social media and they can create some clips out of it for small groups and do what they're doing, right? And, and there's some beauty that comes out of this that didn't exist before. And that's really what this COVID sort of remote video collaboration sort of environment has done for us. Uh, is it's driven, a, I don't know, 10 years of innovation in the span of two years.
uh, especially as it relates to video. But I, I don't think, I think that we're missing that this, every good thing comes with this big gap of this unintended consequence. And I think the unintended consequence is we've killed the middle part of the market and the middle part of the market doesn't even know that yet. Paul, you've talked about the advantages, uh, many advantages, uh, micro ones and, and macro where you're sitting in a room together and sharing ideas and the look of one person and the idea of another uh, leads to the next good idea or maybe an idea that doesn't work at all. But you really wouldn't know it if you have 20 people on a Zoom call. Uh, It's just not the same thing, especially when you're dealing with creativity. Uh, I completely agree. I agree with you. Great talk with Paul Bresden, Media Creative. Hope you join us in the next episode and we'll learn more. You've been listening to the Six Ways to Sunday podcast with Craig D. Forrest, brought to you by Matchstick Media International, dedicated to excellence in media through inspiration, vision, and education. To learn more, visit us on the web at matchstickmedia.org. That's matchstickmedia.org. Your generous donations, large or small, help defray costs for producing this creative podcast. Thanks for listening and subscribing.